from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, May 24th, 2018. This is episode 56, President of Netflix. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff that you may care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host as always. I'm joined this week by two wonderful returning guests, senior editor at Engadget and host of this excellent slash film podcast, Devendra Hardawar is here. Hello, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's great having you here. Um, somebody else who I think you may have worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. And she was also uh, like on our test show and one of our very first shows, host of Rocket here on Relay FM, and of course, senior cloud developer advocate at Microsoft, Christina Warren. Hello, welcome back. It, glad to be back. It's amazing. Yeah, we were talking about this before the show. I think that um, when we did the test show, it was my first week at Microsoft or my second week or something. And this is literally my first anniversary was two days ago as we're recording this. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. It, it does make you harder to get on, on podcasts that happened during the business day, but I'm glad we got we caught you this time. We got yeah, you. Yeah. It's good. So there's a lot. Our document is overflowing. Stephen Hackett was uh, putting it together and he's like, yeah, there's a lot in here. But, uh, you know, with, that's that's what we do. Sometimes it's just a packed week when you least expect it. So, Stephen, uh, thanks for putting it together. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny this time of year, like we're in between developer conferences. There's not a lot of new hardware. It should be quiet. But as we will see... People are still doing stuff, yeah. so we got to talk about it. There's yeah. always stuff happening, right? Computex is in a week and a half, so I'm prepping for that, and E3 is like right after that, so yeah. madness. And Apple is revving up its engines, too, so yeah. it's there's a lot in the works, but yet stuff happened, and we should talk about it. Um, the most interesting stories of the week, as chosen by me and Stephen, uh, we're going we're gonna to start with Elon Musk <laughs> and Tesla. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they are all over the news. The company has struggled to ramp up production of the Model 3, but uh, but actually broke this week was a story from Consumer Reports, who reported that Model 3 braking was worse than other cars in its class, at least some of the time, taking Oof. a lot longer to come to a complete stop than even a Ford pickup truck. Other car publications reported better results. Tesla PR said it might be external factors. Um, but that didn't stop Elon from tweeting that the issue could be fixed with a firmware update that would be rolling out soon. He went on to say Tesla <laughs> sure. won't stop until okay. Model 3 has better braking than any remotely comparable car. Um, not even in my notes here, but one of the things they did this week is even though the Model 3 is backed up with orders, they announced a new ridiculous ludicrous expensive version of the model 3 because uh they would lose money if if they just sold the uh cheap model 3s yeah. that everybody pre-ordered yeah. so they they want to jump in there with the more expensive ones mm. it, it's funny like this is before the uh the the musk rant but even in this statement he sounds like a more erudite trump basically yeah. right like no problem here we, we got the best breaking in the world um, it's going to be, be better. Best. We're, we're going to we're going to make it even better with our firmware update. Never, totally. never, never admit weakness. What you're saying is they want to make breaking great again. <sighs> we're not saying that, Stephen. No. Uh, but this is his shtick, right? Like, I mean, honestly, he yeah, has the thinnest yeah. skin of any. I mean, tech CEOs. I was talking about this with a friend of mine um, uh, based around his rant. But really, it, it's fair to, to, to do this, too. You know, people in Silicon Valley have such thin skins, and I don't understand it, but he in particular cannot take 
any criticism from anyone, whether it's valid or invalid. He cannot deal with it. I mean, he he has a history of going after publications that that write things about the, the about Tesla that he doesn't like. I mean, this is proof of that. It's just he wants to double down. No, we don't have any problems, but but even if we do, we're going to make him better than ever. Uh, it's external factors. Let's blame the testing mechanism. Let's let's blame this and that, and oh, let's just offer a firmware update, even though. Mm-hmm. The, the when that comes and how people how quickly people will be able to get that is is a whole other issue. I don't know what it is about him. Um, it's funny. It's not that he is constantly being attacked in the media either. That's the no. funny thing is that he well, that's t- yeah. the thing. He, he is loved. Yeah, right. He gets a, he gets a pass on a lot of things. And so when this comes out, and of course there was also the uh, bit of investigative journalism that looked at the uh, labor conditions in the Tesla factories and suggested that Tesla had some uh, safety issues with its workers, and that it was kind of massaging its uh, its its incident figures to make them seem maybe more um, safe uh, working environment. And there were a bunch of former Tesla employees saying that they things like not painting dangerous areas yellow because elon musk didn't like yellow of course he was very angry about that as well um and he did do a rant on twitter about it but it's i mean he he he's such an interesting guy steven and i do a podcast on relay called liftoff where we talk about space stuff so we talk about spacex all the time and it's the same thing it's such a dichotomy without elon musk where he's it's not like he isn't doing some amazing things professionally but also he seems to have this other component of himself which is that he can't help himself in making outrageous claims that are never going to come true or that it'll take years longer to launch a rocket let's say than he says at first he doesn't have to do that he's doing enough amazing stuff already he could just kind of like let it let it lie there but he just can't help himself it seems and so when he boils over and he just says all the media is out to get him and they're all being irresponsible i'm sure there are people out there who are out to get him but i'm not sure that the kind of carefully reported investigative reports are are that no and more more and, and and to go back to something you said earlier i mean he's been treated very well he's been given a pass on a lot of things yeah. that other founders wouldn't be given passes on or that existing companies aren't given passes on mm-hmm. if you were to look at just a, maybe like a, a if it wasn't tesla and you had a company with the sort of valuation um and, and the hype of um of Tesla who wasn't able to deliver on their cars. And mm. actually one of them, you could kind of say like Faraday future, you know, which is a disaster truly on, on a whole other scale. You know, people came out hard against that from the beginning, but he's given pass after pass after pass after pass. And if anybody comes in with anything reported or even just saying, yeah, we didn't have a great experience driving and the battery didn't last as long as it needed to, he'll get in a, in a four day war with the New York times. Like, yeah. you know, he, he just, it's, it's really interesting. It's it's a weird balance of like actually delivering, you know, on certain things, right? Because Tesla was such a pie in the sky idea for so long and it it sort of worked out even despite the rough start. And he's done things. It's just yeah, he it's it's not enough for him to actually have those accomplishments. He has to try to one up himself and dig himself deeper into new holes. Uh didn't he also admit that the uh the lower cost Model three is just like a thing that can't happen. He literally said they would lo- they would go out of business if they focused on selling the lower cost Model Threes, which yeah. is the ultimate in teaser versions of teaser models of products. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That yeah. this was the low cost, and it wasn't low cost. It was expensive. No, it wasn't. It was it, the the low the base Model Three is more expensive than any new car I've ever purchased. <laughs> but and I because I'm a I'm a cheap person, I guess is what I'm saying here. But even our our minivan is less than the base Model uh, uh, Three. 
is, but they can't make it right now. They can only make it when they're making uh, tens of thousands of them at a, at a shot instead of right now where they're struggling to do, you know, two or three thousand. Right. And so, you know, he, he admitted it, which is good. But at the same time, it, it also feels kind of uh, that's just another promise that they, they boast about all the pre-orders, but there are a whole chunk of them that they literally can't deliver until they get the factory up to speed. What you, you both are veterans of the tech journalism and tech blogging world. Um, mm-hmm. How how much I, I saw some comments that this week that said the the issue here is that in in tech we tend to be more um, more likely to give uh, these founders and and these uh, these these people who run these companies a pass on their promises and on their software and on their hardware. Um, where in other aspects of journalism like political journalism, investigative journalism, like that piece about the the uh, factory conditions that uh, right. th- that is that is a more kind of adversarial and serious journalism and tech journalism cuts uh, t- cuts tech people a lot of slack. Is that one of the aspects of this of this story and of Musk's attitude? It's uh, I mean, there, there's a lot going on here, too, because I, you know, I have my toes in entertainment journalism as well. And that has been criticized for being too cozy mm-hmm. with, right. uh, you know, the, the studios yep. and everything. A lot of it's about access to like yes. we're looking at political journalists now, um, you know, in Washington and being roundly criticized for, you know, uh, after the uh, what the correspondence dinner. Right. Like complaining that the jokes were too hard on the White House because, oh, maybe these people are their sources. Um, it's all about uh, access. Uh, that's certainly a big part of it. These tech companies do kind of control like what media can get a hold of. Especially the bigger companies like, you know, Apple and Google and everybody, they have a really tight grip on all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there are investigative aspects of tech journalism. Um, but I think also, you know, Jason, you probably have a better sense of this, too. Like, I think so much of the original side of tech journalism came out of like uh, trade journalism, yes, which is a very, exactly. you know, dry, specific thing. It's not really hard hitting. Yeah. I was going to make the exact same point, and I was actually mm-hmm. even going to cite trade journalism because that is where a lot of this comes from. And, and I think yeah. you know, and, and Hollywood is kind of similar too. You obviously have your your trade publications, you know, your, your varieties, your Hollywood reporters, but even they have um, over the years um, tended to transcend more into more of the kind of, uh, I guess. Um, more promotional journalism that you tend to see on, on a lot of the other kind of film sites. And, and like you say, like a lot of it, just like with tech journalism relies on access. So it can be hard and, and it can, you know, you might have, if your publication is big enough and has enough money, you might be able to have one person who is more of the trade access kind of person for a company and a person who is able to be more adversarial, but not every place can do that. Um, so yeah, I think that's part of it. And I, but, but I think what's changing is that both the public is becoming, less comfortable with how cozy people are being. And I think that maybe this is just my experience, but the the longer I was doing kind of journalism, the less comfortable I was playing that role too. Because at a certain point, I was thinking, I'm not PR for this company. Like that's not my job. My job is to report for readers and I want to be fair and I want to not take shots when they're not unwarranted. But if something is wrong or if I need to be critical of something, I need to be able to do that. And if that means that this company won't talk to me, well... yeah. Okay, you Too know, bad. But, yeah. but 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 that but not every publication is going to allow reporters to even do that. There are some places where it's just not in their mission statement to be adversarial, and uh, I think that uh, Elon, both for the labor stuff especially, I think that's a great point. Jason is that that is something where it is it is rote. It is something that people do, and he's not used to having that sort of criticism. 
And once you have one person kind of maybe being willing to go out there and, and be critical, that makes it easier for other people to kind of come out of the woodwork and be like, you know, actually, this is an issue too. Whereas otherwise, they might not would have been the first person to to come out and, and, and criticize Elon. Yeah, I, I think at this point, too, like the tech industry and journalists in particular are more willing to call out the crap, too, because... I don't know. I spent a lot of years uh, covering startups, you know, yep. when that was just becoming a big thing uh, post financial crisis. And it was really cool and exciting. And then after a while, I just realized most of the things these people are saying is, you know, garbage. Yeah, and the, right. the valuations for these companies is just like made out of thin air. I think, you know, post the uh, the Facebook privacy you know, scandals and everything. And also after Theranos, oh, yeah. which was such a you, you just look at the original pitch and all it really took was somebody saying, like, hey, can you prove this works? And no one um, did. No one really did. And it just, you know, it was a really basic thing. And WSJ did it. And I'm glad they did it because that's a sort of like, I don't know, like magical product thinking that is just annoying as hell. Um, Juicero was the same thing, too. Yep. And that was even simpler. That was even. Yeah. I mean, and that and that was an easy one to kind of like come out and criticize because all these, you know, VCs and rich people had invested in it and, and um, you know, it raised all this money for this dumb product. Theranos, yep. you know, was out, was outright fraud by by what it appears to be anyway. Um mm-hmm. The book Bad Blood, I'm almost done with it. It's really, really good. Um, but what's but what's notable about Theranos is that it wasn't the tech or even the business press that took that down. It was the investigative unit at the Wall Street Journal, and yep. it was a reporter who had primarily focused on healthcare and and that sort of world before. He didn't really have the connections in Silicon Valley. He didn't have a lot of the technical um, know-how in the same way that that you know you would expect a, a tech or a business journalist to do it. He knew about biotech, but it was a different sort of thing. And that was what it took to you know show that this huge this company that was valued at nearly 10 billion dollars was it was a complete fraud mm-hmm. you know there's a um there's a good piece on uh on engadget right now by robbie baldwin who is the transportation writer there and who i think many of us know pretty well um yeah, and it's great ca- dude and it's called elon musk needs to chill out <laughs> and i recommend this. people read it because i think it is robbie really being like as even-handed as he can actually despite the headline about like what's the purpose of journalism and what's good journalism and bad journalism and he calls himself out he, robbie does for like maybe being a little too harsh on a on a tweet on Twitter and crossing a line, but also saying like you know saying we should create Pravda, which is like a, just a laugh line that uh, Musk uh. mentioned in his in his rant. It's a it's a it's a really good piece. I do wonder sometimes if the source of Musk's um, prickliness about this stuff is that he you know you know it's not as if his companies are. He's not one of these people who you feel like he's got all the money and his companies are all like his companies are all, you know, a little bit wobbly. And he (laughs) he keeps them going partially by making outrageous statements and doing, you know, big gestures like firing a car into space and things like that. And and, you know. It, they're not as secure, and I wonder if that insecurity, that his concern, mm-hmm. that some of the, like, you know, he he lashes out at a report about safety or about brakes because he's concerned that with a couple of hits, Tesla could fall apart. And it, you know, we we think of Tesla, it's like, oh, it's such a great story, and it is a great story, right. and the products are interesting. But you know, he does have, he, from his perspective, maybe he's convinced, like Steve Jobs was, I think, after he came back to Apple and Apple almost went out of business. There's almost a mentality that anything could destroy you even if it's not true with the case Mm -hmm. of tesla 
it might be true yeah i don't well, know both tesla and spacex too like he basically poured his own you know his own money into keeping those things going too so it's not just if these companies fail uh you know he could just walk away um you know there was great reporting i think like back a decade ago when tesla was just getting started about how like just insane and crazy that company's finances were uh one of my former editors owen thomas did a lot of that reporting and mm-hmm. musk was like publicly calling him out oh you yeah can go back he was look at those angry. stories it's yeah. crazy like he they because owen did a lot of reporting around um you know elon and also his like personal relationships too and musk just took that all really really to heart so yeah go look at those old stories it's crazy yeah well he's you know as as steven and i know from the from the liftoff side he he is prone to to make these kinds of uh outrageous Mm -hmm. statements uh and that's just that's just who this guy is and we can we can say again and again i mean when you look at steve jobs and you say hey elon Steve Jobs had more restraint than you with with the press. <laughs> wow, because mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, you know, it was always kind of bubbling right at the surface there. But like maybe maybe uh he just can't help it because, you know, he makes his statements about going to Mars and everybody knows that that, that they're completely unrealistic and yet he mm-hmm. he makes them. And you know, he doesn't have to because he could say true things that were reasonable and would be amazing, yep. but he can't help it. So there's obviously something about Elon Musk. Well, we will keep watching what's going on with tesla it is a fascinating story as they try to get the uh the factory like the factory is at the center of this they need to ramp up production of the model three mm-hmm. so when you talk about uh labor issues at the factory like that's obviously a sore point because in the end that's what's going to make or break tesla so we'll just have to see how they're doing on shipments they're getting better but you know at one at what cost and two can they keep ramping it up we will keep watching of course um we have much much more to talk about i want to take a break briefly to tell you about one of our sponsors this week this episode of download is brought to you in part by away away is a team of thinkers seekers and designers that have made a smart premium suitcase series so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket does and what do you need most when you're traveling more battery when you buy an away suitcase you can charge all your devices while you travel both sides of their carry-on feature usb ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge go to awaytravel.com slash download right now and browse away suitcases they feature premium german polycarbonate which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and still very lightweight you can choose from over 10 colors five different sizes two carry-ons the medium the large and the kids carry-on so i guess three carry-ons really if you count it that way they cut out the middleman so you're getting them direct from them you can get first class luggage at coach prices away suitcases have a patent pending compression system which is great if you're an overpacker like me along with four 360 degree spinner wheels once you have a four spinner wheel uh, suitcase you will never go back to the two wheeled suitcases let me tell you Um, away carry-ons are compliant with all major u.s airlines they maximize the amount you can pack they've got tsa combination locks built in they've got a removable washable laundry bag so you can separate your clean clothes from your worn ones i got an away carry-on when they started sponsoring podcasts that i did and i loved it so much that uh my wife basically was like you're getting me one of those two and we immediately bought another one what can i say that's my personal endorsement we really liked it and we bought a second one away believes in the quality of their products too they have a lifetime guarantee if anything breaks they'll fix it or replace it for life and they have a hundred day trial with no questions asked return policy free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the united states what more do you need go to awaytravel.com slash 
download. Use the code download to check out. You'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. Awaytravel.com slash download with code download for $20 off. Thank you to Away for supporting the show and all of Relay FM. Okay, another thing that you two have in common beyond tech stuff is entertainment stuff because I'm talking to Devendra of the Slash <laughs> Filmcast and I'm talking to Film Girl, right? So, <laughs> yes. Um, I want to talk about streaming media. There's two streaming media stories. There's a bunch going on here, but the two that I really want to focus on are uh, there's one involving money and there's one involving, well, money mm-hmm. um, and deals. So let's start with the Obamas. This is a little kind of out of left field. I guess we're in the 21st century instead of presidents making, you know, just giving speeches and making book deals. Um, Barack and Michelle Obama have entered into a multi-year agreement with Netflix to produce films and TV series that might span all the way from like so there's unscripted reality-ish kind of shows, documentaries. Mm-hmm. Not much is known about the deal. The earliest we'll see any content out of this deal would be 2019. It might even take longer. It takes a long time to make TV. But what do you, I'm just, I want your read on what this <laughs> is that we've reached this point. What is an ex-president and ex-first lady making a development deal with Netflix mean? It, what, what What's going on here? Christina, what do you think? I mean, it makes total sense to me. You were talking about uh, you know figures that are very, very popular in the media worldwide. So there's global appeal. And so when you're Netflix, you need to, they need to look at, you know, um, not just uh, people that will work well in the US, but, but potentially globally, um, although they do make, obviously, um, you know, certain uh, region specific content as well. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, they're, they're both uh, charismatic, they're both photogenic, uh, they have a point of view, they've been involved in storytelling and doing other things even before this. I think uh, it, it's an interesting kind of direction for Netflix to go in. But if you've got these two people who are now out of the public eye, as it were, who you can do projects with, I mean, you were saying before, you know, book deals and speaking tours, this just seems like a natural extension of that. I have to imagine that if, um, you know, the Kennedys, uh, if, if A, you know, uh, JFK had been assassinated and B, if, if it were kind of a different era, you could see, you know, um, uh, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis doing some sort of Netflix show or at least JFK Jr. JFK Jr. would totally have had a Netflix show chronicling as he was building George. You know, I mean, it just, I, I feel like, uh, there's, there's a public interest and there's the potential for good storytelling. And for Netflix, it doesn't seem, I mean, they're, they're going to be spending a lot of money, but not, I mean, they're spending billions and billions a year. So what's what's the harm in, in taking um, a, a, a shot at this? Yeah, I mean, they're also like the Obamas, I think, have always done well with communication. Yes. Just in terms of like getting their messages out and, you know, having the right platforms. Uh, they kind of, you know, revolutionized, um, you know, their focus on social media, you know, ahead of the first election, things like that. Um it makes sense, right? Like, basically, this is the best way to spread their message. And they're also starting that foundation mm-hmm. as well, that nonprofit. So I think it all kind of ties together. And, you know, if you, if you really want to get the word out there, you know, Obama is basically becoming president of Netflix now. <laughs> as like, you know, our, our viewing ship, we're a nation of viewers and it covers the entire world. Like, how many subscribers does Netflix have now? worldwide it's a you know it's pretty sizable i think of it the same way that you think of like facebook and it's like what uh was it 1.2 billion or is over Mm -hmm. 2 billion now yeah Uh, you know that that is a huge platform so anybody who has a big voice on it i think has the you know the political communication sway of like a an actual politician too yeah, what I, I was thinking of what kind of stuff we might see, and I think I think one of the challenges is going to be how 
they how they the challenge is to make stuff people want to watch, right? I mean, that's ultimately it because so much of what you see. Uh, former presidents do is public service stuff. And again, I, I am not trying to belittle charity and public service and all of these things, not right, at all. Right. But there is this question of like, as like something you watch on Netflix, do you want to watch a dry documentary? Do you want to watch a, you know, an uplifting story about some particular area that the Obamas are interested in, but it ends up being like you're taking your medicine? I feel like that's the risk here is they, mm-hmm. and Netflix wants people to watch this stuff. There has to be some level of entertainment value to it. It might, right. you know, it might, it might work out fine i i think the um seeing him on david letterman's show on netflix was one of those moments of like oh yeah okay this this i could see this i could i could see how he might in being involved in that and go hey netflix maybe that's an idea maybe that's what we could do but do you think we're going to see stuff that's legitimately entertaining or or is it going to be kind of like you know uh, i mean it's gonna be pbs pbs I mean, you know it might be more modern so it depends you know, might on have your feelings t- about whether pbs is entertaining i suppose it's in the eye I mean, of the I think it can be. It can be. I think it can be. I mean, I think that Frontline can do some very entertaining and and very good things. And I also think, you know, um, and Netflix obviously has so much data, but I I would imagine that, you know, people watch a lot of their documentaries. I think that with a certain point of view, especially if you do have them involved, the harder thing is, for instance, if you have them, you know, doing interviews, if you have Michelle doing interviews, if you have them doing voiceovers and actively involved, like in the production, you might get some of the draw. If it's simply them being executive producers and kind of putting their name on it, that's a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because Oprah's run into that, right? Like Oprah is amazing and she has a real eye for talent, but owned the network, um, you know, the discovery owns hasn't really worked. Um, the, the ones that do work are typically the ones where she's involved in some way. Um, to the point that now, you know, she's going to be a 60 minutes correspondent. So I, I feel like it depends on their direct involvement, but I do think that they both have, as Devendra was saying, really, really good reads on media. I mean, that mm-hmm. was part of why his campaign was so successful yeah. and why he really became an international figure and internationally famous is because they understand media, they understand optics, and this isn't going to be, you know, um, what like the Reagans would have done, you know, like this is going right. to be a different sort of thing. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I, th- you could imagine in a world where uh, uh, Bill Clinton didn't have all the um, you know baggage that he has, that he would have been a great person to kind of consider to bring into those things. Now, obviously, there's no way you could give <laughs> Bill Clinton a Netflix deal, but uh, you know, but Obama has that same sort of thing, and, and Michelle too, and mm-hmm. and so I think how successful it will be, I don't know. It also depending on how much they're investing in it, it might not have to be that successful. They might just want to write it off as a prestige thing. We're working with the former president. I mean, that might be enough. That that is basically Netflix's strategy right now. I don't know if you guys have seen a lot of their recent original movies. They are generally awful, like just so (laughs) bad. Oh, they're so bad. So, but then you have like, oh, it's a movie starring Will Smith. So that's all you know. Netflix cares about, right? Um, for this whole strategy, by the way, it really it depends on like the writers and producers Mm -hmm. that the Obamas bring on board too, because you know those are the folks who are going to be doing like the dirty work and the writing work and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, watching him on Letterman, uh, just looking at the conversation, um, you know, Obama had with Anthony Bourdain in Parts Unknown and just like, I, I would, I would watch that. I'd watch, you know, dozens of hours of a show of just like those conversations. Mm. Um, and also making these sorts of like unscripted shows can be, you know, they're not too expensive and easy exactly. to put together. You look at what like, uh, Will Smith is doing on YouTube right now. His YouTube channel is amazing. 
and so many of them are just like him doing things and also like recounting stories like how he became uh you know how he landed the fresh prince you know that story it's like a five minute long story but it like goes places and it's so well done and well edited and probably not a you know expensive thing to produce hmm. so wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of things like that. Well, yeah. here's my pitch for the Obamas before we move on, which is I would really like to see. I'm not sure the the chances of this happening, but mm-hmm. I talked about presidents in their memoirs. I would love to see a show that it, that takes historians and journalists and Obama and the members of his administration and walks through his administration from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like as a series and you could do it. You could do a year, a season and you got eight seasons there, right? Because if, if they were willing to do that especially if they were willing to let that there be some hard questions and some criticism mixed in i think that would be fascinating to actually have like an ongoing documentary series where a a former president participated or even produced something that was analyzing like looking back on what they did and sure you know the question would be how much of it would be propaganda versus how much of it would be more journalistic but you know if you the advantage of saying let's have it be journalistic is it would probably be way more compelling that way and it might end up being with the access that they would get kind of kind of fascinating. So that's that's my pitch for something that I think would be riveting TV. I'm not sure how likely it is because I think everybody's always going to going to push them at least toward right. being the you know shiny, most polished, most positive that they can they can do. But boy, that would be what an opportunity that would be. Get Doris Kearns Goodwin yeah. on the phone right now. And I mean, I think that'd do. be amazing. I think for that, and I don't know how much they're getting paid for this. That sort of thing. That's worth like hundreds of millions, you know, like that's because you would sell for, you probably get, you know, for, for, for a book deal like that, you'd probably, you, sure. you would definitely get, you know, um, eight figures. So I don't know, um, maybe not hundreds of millions, but, but definitely like yeah. maybe like 50, 60 for something like that. So, but yeah, I love that idea. That would, that would be amazing. So, uh, speaking of money, by the way, we should mention the other, the other story that happened this week that's totally bananas. Um, oh my we should God, at least so touch nuts. on. So we've been talking oh for the last, uh, many months now about how Disney is in the process of getting approval eventually to buy out most of Fox, uh, mostly the uh, film and TV studios, uh, and the cable channels and the regional sports networks, not the TV stations or broadcast networks because all the buyers have been people who already have t- uh, TV stations and broadcast networks. Right. And they can't. You can't have two networks. You can't do that. Yeah, the laws won't allow that. Kind of like too much, right? So we've been all been talking about how it's it's uh, Disney buying Fox, um, and then this week uh, Comcast, who had already been rebuffed by the Fox board when they had made an offer last year because they didn't think it was as as even though it was more money, they didn't think it was as good a fit as the Disney offer. They said basically we're going to offer cash and b- basically make a hostile bid to buy hmm. Comcast to buy Fox instead of Disney um, and. And the, the money we're talking about here is like $52.4 billion in stock is what Disney offered. And Comcast says they're going to offer more than that in cash. By the way, there's a $1.4, I want to say, billion dollar penalty if Fox sells to somebody other than Disney, yes. which normally huh. would be an eye-watering amount. And yet when you say no, 50, in this context. $52.4 billion, yeah, that's one, that $1.4 billion, it's like... Ch- uh, change in your couch um so what do you what do you think about this is giants in the playground right i'm not sure people talk about media consolidation that's not the story here right because it's like it's just which giant wants to swallow fox it doesn't right. really change anything so what when you when you heard this story what what were you thinking surprise yeah and also that i actually kind of feel like i was worried about the you know disney buying up everything um but for fox 
like they'd probably be better off with the Disney stock, yes. wouldn't they? Like just just yes. like look look at what's happening and what Disney's swallowing up right now. So I'm not even thinking if this is a consumer, but as like a business choice, it may actually be smarter to take that you know 52.4 billion in stock versus you know an upfront 60 billion. And it's weird we're talking about these amounts, but yeah. No, I mean, because the way I look at it, I mean, you know, Comcast, they're going to have to, you know, do some sort of leverage thing. They're going to mm-hmm. have to take on a, a lot of debt to be able to, to to make this sort of deal, which is always scary. And we've seen time and time again. I mean, the last time, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, like Time Warner, you know, with AOL, like that, that ended up kind of being a disaster. Right, and, yeah. and if, and if yeah. this isn't, and if this isn't done the right way, this could also be a disaster. I think just, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, I agree with you. I also feel like, from a from a fan perspective, which is a little bit different, yeah, I, I'm much less comfortable with Comcast right. owning Disney than I am, or, or owning Fox, Fox than I am yeah. with, with with Disney. You know, because Disney has proven to be, for better or worse, under the Bob Iger era, a very good steward of the things that it buys. They've been very good to Pixar, um, have let them kind of run on their own. They've done a really nice job um, with with Marvel, I think, and and also with uh, now with Star Wars. Um, whereas Comcast doesn't have a great history with that. If you look at, you know, what what's happened at, at Universal and at NBC mm-hmm. Universal, uh, there's been a lot of brain drain there. And there's been a lot of kind of, I think, um, uh, Comcast getting involved in a lot of the kind of the, the corporate aspects and then the content aspects that, that you didn't see, for instance, uh, when it was General Electric. So that's problematic for me. Um, I also just from like a even though we are talking about conglomerates one way or another, and obviously, you know, Comcast owns NBC and, and Disney owns ABC. The fact that Comcast is also has its own distribution platform in Comcast and Xfinity yeah, makes yeah, ma- makes yeah. this feel way more like it, you can make a monopoly case either way, but it feels like to me like this makes it way more monopoly case, even if they're not taking the broadcast networks, just the fact that they will now own, um, but they will have the cable, some of the cable stuff, you know, the fact that they will, will you know, get all of this content and get the 21st century studio stuff. That's the thing that makes me really uncomfortable from a conglomerate standpoint. I, I'm not real comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. That's your Comcast triple play. Uh, sorry. Uh, but no, that, that's exactly right. Like it is, it is not like Disney in the sense that not only do they already have a lot of outlets, a network channels or stations around the around the u.s and uh studio but they also have uh they're the monopoly essentially in so many different areas in terms of distribution right. like that it, that makes this i would think that would make this a tougher regulatory hurdle th- than the disney deal i i would except for except this administration who, yeah who could knows? go the other way because the thing is is that <laughs> like what, what would fear what to me would immediately like come out as the fear is that you know comcast if they were to get all the all the 21st century Fox stuff will immediately put that behind a Comcast paywall. So if you want to access any of that content, and it's not the same as a separate over the air, over the top, uh, you know, a streaming service from Disney. This would be a you have to be a Comcast cable or internet subscriber to access some of these things. That's really scary. I, don't, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of that because generally the the chance to make money from people outside of your pipe is... we, no we haven't seen a lot of it because they had a five-year lockup where they couldn't do some of that stuff when they bought uh, uh nbc universal and that's expired so right i i fully expect them to do everything they can I, i'm a comcast cable subscriber begrudgingly it's the only one i could get i don't i don't subscribe to them uh for internet i use another company and mm-hmm. already that in and of itself is problematic for instance i can't um because i use wave g i have gigabit um and i'm not going to use comcast crappy internet uh, when i can get gigabit fiber um 
And, uh, but I can't use certain apps. Like if I want to watch oh, right, TV right, on my yeah. iPad in my bedroom, I have to have the stupid Comcast cable connection. It won't work wow. if I just have, you know, the TV service. And, and they have other things too. You know, Comcast really limits, um, certain, uh, services. Um, uh, uh Viacom is one of them, but, but, but there's also, uh, uh, stars and there's, um, I think even some of the FX stuff where you can't do the, the, you know, app, the, um, login on Apple TV. Like you can't use the the cable company apps or the, the cable network apps because Comcast login doesn't work. So you can just imagine that expanding even more uh, for even more content. And uh, I don't know. I uh, uh, just gives me the heaps, but yeah. But yeah. That, that's the media dystopia that we've all kind of been fearing and just giving them that much control. And also like Comcast is bringing back bandwidth caps. Yeah. What is like, I can't, I can't even fathom how no, they're I doing know. that today. And it's just insane. Like I have friends who have a uh, Comcast service that are, you know, th- they're getting faster, but it doesn't matter if you're capped no, at like what, two or three thing. terabytes. I, like, I, yeah. pay, I pay $50 a month to have an unlimited cable uh, internet for uh-huh. Comcast because our cap was one terabyte and I have two Ugh. teenagers and we went to 1.2 terabytes every month. So <laughs> now I'm just paying them more to have unlimited and it's ridiculous. Right. But yeah, that that is that extra leg of the stool of the deal is certainly the thing that, that jumped out to me that this is a more like a more consolidated deal, media consolidation deal it's not to say that the disney fox merger doesn't have issues right Right. because it is media consolidation it is sort of like one mega studio basically happening and and when you've got so much vertical integration in hollywood already where as we saw the this month right where shows are getting canceled because they are not made by the right studio they're not made by the well, operated studio mm-hmm. or they mm-hmm. or they get sur- they survive by moving to the like the uh, what brooklyn 99 was an nbc show on fox and when fox canceled it they shopped it around but ultimately it landed at nbc because they own a piece of the show because it's their show and we saw with the expanse getting canceled that was not a show that nbc universal which runs the sci-fi channel had a piece of and so it was easier to cancel it so you know this is media consolidation is not a great thing in general in just investing huge amounts of money in, and, and content and power into a company like Disney, um, then again, th- then you look at the cable company and you're like, yeah, I think I would probably pick, <laughs> I would rather go to Disneyland than Cable Town. That's the bottom line. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, Cable Town USA. I mean, and it's interesting too, because it will be interesting to see what sort of blowback this gets, because in a lot of ways, this deal is very similar to the AT&T uh, Time Warner um, you know, right. uh, uh, purchase and, and that obviously is facing a lot of regulatory challenges. But I have a feeling because of, of, uh, you know, how close the Comcast, how much lobbying the Comcast guy has done that, uh, CEO, I can't think of his name, what Brian Krause, is that his name? Uh, I, I, I think that they would, might have a, a better shot, but, uh, I, I, we haven't even talked about what this would mean for Hulu, which would now essentially be owned by Comcast. Whoever, whoever buys Fox is going to own Hulu. Right. So it'll either be it'll either be Comcast, the cable company will own this the sort of premium streaming service or uh, or Disney will like 90 percent of it other than the 10 percent right. owned by uh, by by what was it or no, no, 60 percent. Right. 60 percent. And then there's 30 percent owned by the one who doesn't get the deal and 10 percent owned by Time Warner, um, not Time Warner Cable, the Time Warner. Right. That is what's left of 
<laughs> AOL. T- anyway, I don't even want to go down that route. So yeah, that Hulu is a part of it too. Um, I don't know. And of course, as it's hard for me to look at this entirely uh, disconnected from the fact that I really, as a as a uh, superhero nerd, I, I really want Marvel to get the, the whole Marvel. Universe, I want to get sorry. yeah, I want Marvel, Marvel to get Fox, back yeah. the X Men and the Fantastic Four and stuff, <laughs> not have it go. No, 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 no! Don't go to Comcast. No, not, have, not have to like, not have to borrow. You know, like license. Okay, you can use this for this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I I don't know. Um, it's going to be a tough. It'll be interesting to see what the the uh, board does, and because they are treating this as kind of hostile, they basically said, "Look, we already made our decision, and we think the Disney deal is better for everybody." Mm-hmm. But Comcast mm-hmm. can make a pitch, and it may end up being a bidding war. And does Disney want to get into a bidding war? And how how high will that go? And what will the shareholders say? Well, that, I was going to say this is ultimately this is this is ultimately like classic eighty style hostile takeover where you're hoping to appeal to the shareholders because I think the yeah. board, you're right, has probably made their decision. But if you can find enough people with enough shares and bring this to a shareholder vote, there are a lot of people who are going to say, "Well, you're offering this in cash, whereas you know this other deal is going to convert me to stock that I don't necessarily want." Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's, it'll be really interesting. Well, we, the, the, that will play out and we'll see how the FCC gets involved and how the, uh, the, the shareholders react and the board. And we didn't even talk about the other drama that's going on, which is CBS trying to fire its own owner, which is, oh, yeah, you know, that, that, that's that also so happening. Much. So just get your popcorn out because, because as we said earlier, there's two factors in tech journalism and entertainment journalism. There's the trade aspect and there's the fan aspect. And those are both at play in both, I would argue. And in this case, they convert because it's the entertainment of the business of entertainment that is happening right now we'll see what happens but uh it's a it's a lot of people with lots of money fighting is basically what's happening anyway (laughs) let's take a break we've got a lot more to talk about uh in the rest of the show but i want to tell you about our other sponsor which is simple contacts uh great when an app uh, makes a tiresome task easy and that's what simple contacts does because it makes it easy to renew your existing contact lens prescription you can reorder your contracts contacts from anywhere in just minutes all you do is complete their online self-guided vision test in less than five minutes from wherever you are you don't have to go back to your doctor and sit in the waiting room just to renew your existing prescription you can order your favorite contacts right from their website or in their app they've got all the lens brands you love with options for astigmatism multifocal lenses colored lenses and more my contacts have an astigmatism correction uh it took me a very long time to shop for them because we needed them of a certain size so i wasn't constantly seeing the edge of my contacts and my vision took a long time back and forth with my doctor guess what they have those they have those at Simple Contacts. I thought they would be hard to get. No, they've got all the kinds, basically. You can order exactly what you need whenever you want. Their vision test is just $20. That's going to be a lot less than if you have to go and have a full appointment at your local vision care center just to get the renewal. They can save you money and time. Now, it is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. That you need to go see a doctor about. This is about checking that your current prescription is still valid and letting you renew your lenses based on that prescription. They're not writing new new prescriptions they're not examining your eye health. This is about refilling your existing contact prescription because you're out of contacts and you need more and your vision hasn't changed. As a listener to this show, you can get $30 off your contact lenses by going to simplecontacts.com slash download or enter code download at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash download or use the code download for $30 off. Thank you to Simple Contacts for sponsoring download. Now, before we move on to our third topic, I want to tell you about the story that you might have missed or should I say the story you would 
of missed, but you keep getting emails about it, <laughs> which is that May 25th marks the start of GDPR, a collection of consumer privacy laws in the European Union designed to give citizens more control over their personal data held by companies. It's all very complicated, but this is why you've gotten 130 emails this week about changing privacy policies from websites and service companies. My favorite one, by the way, was from Instapaper, which said, hey, European customers, you can't use our service for a little while because we're late <laughs> and we, uh, 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 but we'll be it's back. Bad. But we, but we have to shut down temporarily in Europe because we aren't ready. Uh, yeah, ouch. But there are, there are lots of those out there. I look at this as an opportunity because some of these things are like, we won't be able to send you any more email unless you click this button. I'm like, good. I, I don't <laughs> want to ever see you again. Exactly. Who are you again? When did I give you my email address? So anyway, GDPR, it's out there. You probably didn't miss it but that's why you're getting all those emails is it's it's european privacy regulations that go into effect uh tomorrow as we record this so you know just hey hey europe we love you we don't know who you are we don't know anything about you we love you thanks europe yep yeah uh topic number three seattle where christina is Yep. <laughs> Just announced an annual tax of about $50 million on big companies last week to help solve the city's homeless problem. San Francisco, Mountain View, Cupertino, other Silicon Valley cities, cities, especially those suburbs where there are big companies, are all now considering similar taxes on large local employers to offset the growing inequality and overcrowding caused by major tech companies in the area. Now, You'll be shocked to learn tech companies are not a fan of this idea. They insist that the good that they bring with their countless well-paying jobs is enough to support the cities in which they operate. Although they do offer goodwill gestures, Google funds a public electric shuttle service in Mountain View. Amazon gives away free bananas to Seattle (laughs) residents. Yep, bananas. That's I said. Amazing. I said bananas. (laughs) Amazing Amazon. Uh, Yeah. So uh, you know, we last year we had a long conversation on this podcast about choosing to build in suburbs versus urban areas and the the strengths and weaknesses of both and amazon sort of focuses on building in urban areas um uh, google apple very suburban in in their approach at their headquarters they are in suburbs um what what do you guys think about the the uh, responsibility these companies have to their communities is that are they are they not uh supporting the communities in which they reside enough or is this just sort of a cynical cash grab by uh by cities who see uh tech companies with money falling out of their pockets what do you think uh, we'll start in seattle how about that christina <laughs> yeah no i mean i definitely think that companies can do more i mean uh it's interesting so i disclosure i work at microsoft and uh, microsoft is in a suburban city uh redmond um and i i'm very positive that the microsoft gets significant you know tax breaks and other um things from the city but i do have to say that from people i've talked to um anecdotally like you know uber and lyft drivers and other people in the the area um people here seem to be much more happy with microsoft and how microsoft has treated the city than they are with say amazon um microsoft is investing a lot in 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 the light rail that's going to be connecting kind of the the east side and the west side and you know um they they run you know shuttle services um using kind of public roads and stuff to you know and and using lanes to try to cut down on traffic that sort of thing there's always more you can do. Uh, I feel like there probably is some cynicism in this and then the city boards and, and I am a, you know, Seattle, uh, taxpayer and, and I, I live in, in Seattle proper. There probably is some of that coming here, but I definitely do feel like this, the, the companies themselves can do more, especially when you are in these urban areas because mm-hmm. the, the, um, 
income inequality is so large and the housing issue in Seattle is significant and there's a massive homeless problem too. I don't know if the tax will necessarily make all that better, but it will certainly give the city more resources. Uh, I also think though that the cities themselves, or at least Seattle, immediately kind of let itself um, be not bullied, but but it got in a, in a fight of chicken with Amazon over this tax. The, yeah. it, was, it was proposed to be five hundred dollars a person. It's now two seventy five because Amazon said, "Okay, well, we're just not. We're going to we'll uh, take stop, our ball and know. go home." Exactly, yeah. which which honestly would have been a lot harder for them to do yeah. to really do, but you know, then, then I think the city let go. And what happened was that the city immediately caved. So. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, definitely these companies need to do more. And I definitely do feel like a lot of these companies come into these places. And in the old days, I think that it was kind of maybe more understood that there was an investment you needed to make in these areas that you are are building in. Right. But now... Did, didn't Nintendo buy the baseball team? They did. Like that, they did. That yeah. sort the Mariners. of thing. Yep. You know? Exactly. You would have that. And, and, and again, I mean, you know, not trying to sound like a shill for my company because I'm not, but like Microsoft has done a lot for the area. Whereas now, and I think that this is something that you see with newer companies or younger companies is they go to these areas and instead it's not what can we do for you? It's mm-hmm. give us the best deals. How much of a tax break? What are we going to do, even if it long term isn't going to be beneficial to the city itself? Well, of course, Amazon had their we're going to do a reality show, essentially, where all the cities try to compete to see how much money right. they'll give us to Ugh. build a second campus, which it's funny in contrast with, I mean, you mentioned Microsoft's uh, approach. Apple's approach with their additional campus that they're building seems to be much more behind the scenes, which I yes. I think is more appropriate than basically saying, yes. let's just do a raffle and see what happens. <laughs> no, because, because Right, because that's how it's always been done. Obviously, these negotiations always take place, but it's never been this public bidding process. And like you said, this reality show thing. And what I think that does is that then, you know, puts the pressure on on all these cities to make their pitch the most yeah. um, they get you know, to perform right. Yeah. It's crazy because I've been uh I've been to Seattle twice this year. Um and for the first time last year. Lovely city. Um but the first thing that struck me upon going is that this feels like proto San Francisco. Yeah. This mm-hmm. feels like all the issues I've had, you know, visiting San Francisco and seeing like how the tech industry has, you know, ballooned over the past decade uh where San Francisco itself just seems to be getting, you know, tougher for anybody who's not part of this tech class. Um it's it's really sad and disappointing to me. It's crazy like you look at like it's it started with San Francisco, but also we're seeing the rise in homelessness in Seattle, uh, yes. L.A., which is another big tech hub right now. It is a tech boom city. You go to you know Santa Monica, um, all the tech companies are there, um, but also surrounded by all the homeless people uh, at you know Venice Beach too. It's a really just stark contrast, and I think like in general, like yeah, the tech companies. If they're actually members of these communities, they do have to do more and contribute more. The easiest way is just to tax them more. But then it's really up to the cities to actually do something good with that. And there's been a lot of criticism around San Francisco and like how the city just fails to understand and help the homeless as well. So it's this is like a complicated situation. But personally, I am as somebody who covers tech and is just like kind of invested in where this world is going. It is kind of disgusting to see this like rampant success is not leading to success for everybody. And uh, you see that from startup founders in San Francisco and the way they like talk about homeless people, too. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just kind of gross. I live in New York and New York is not a one industry town. And I think that's what I really love about the city. Right. We have tech. 
but there's also finance there's also art there's movies there's you know theater there's everything and i think like new york at least had a better sense of how to deal with its problems and not just let like these big companies take over you know not just to give them all the tax breaks and not pay up for what they're taking well even these big at least the big cities are cities and they they are even if they have a dominant industry it's not dominant like it is if you're the city of cupertino where i believe some apple. like what 80 90 mm-hmm. percent of the office space is apple it, it is a company town in the truest sense in terms of the offices right but in, not in terms of the people who live there um right. and i don't know how the finances work i i would say like i i think a city like cupertino needs to be getting a lot of money from apple to run right. its city and also to deal with the traffic that's coming in there or dealing with the 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 uh, quality of life of the people who who live in cupertino who are around there presumably including ultimately apple employees who will want to live close to where the offices are i don't know whether the existing property tax this is my question is like it does the existing property tax give them a huge influx that apple built this enormous campus and spent billions of dollars on it presumably that is providing a huge amount of financial uh lifeline for the city of cupertino already do they need a head tax on top of that are they are what are they going to spend it on i think that there are lots of good questions to ask about it but yeah ultimately like in the Bay Area, especially where the governments are so fractured, there are all these different little city governments. It makes sense to me that, um, you know, if Apple's going to plop down another giant campus in the middle of the suburbs there, like somebody needs to deal with the roads and transit and stuff yeah. like that. And there's no transit, yeah. no transit near that Apple campus. There's none. It's a suburb. It was never designed to have a direct like kind of rail link to feed it like like downtown Seattle or or San Francisco, where there's a lot of public transit transit that's always designed to pour in there somehow apple's presence there has such a huge impact that needs to be mitigated in some way and what i don't know is just like is is cupertino already flush with cash and they just want more of it to spend on whatever or is you know are are they saying you know we really need to find a way to make this work and that 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 i don't know and and the problem like like christina said about uh, microsoft and amazon like Mm -hmm. it's not realistic for those companies even amazon it's not really realistic for them to abandon abandon Seattle, although Amazon knows that Boeing abandoned Seattle, so they're probably playing on that fear, too, right? But Microsoft, Microsoft, Google, Apple, they're pretty much ensconced in those places. They're probably not going anywhere. Um, And so that's an interesting dynamic, like how how much do the cities want to get out of them? I don't know. It's it's a fascinating case, but I I, got to say, I kind of like the idea that the city governments are pushing back because the story for the last year has been the reality show of who wants to give us the most bananas for us to move to your city. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and that's the part like living in Seattle. And, and it was interesting because I moved here just as like Amazon started their whole, you know, like give us, you know, your best pitch contest and kind of observing what it's like to have to be in a, you know, um, a, a, a metro, you know, metro, uh, not a suburb, but an actual, you know, city to see what what impact these companies have. I feel like these are questions that that people should have been asking city government should have been asking before they started you know making these sorts of bids because oftentimes the trade-off is different than what you might think well Mm -hmm. again the story is big companies lots of money and then lots of discussion about what goes on it feels like that's the theme this week a lot a lot of uh, a lot of that hey i know what's the cure for that how about the fuzzy puppy update? We like to do this at the end of the show because it lets us leave on a happy note. And this is a happy note from listener Will, who sent this in. Fred is a 10-year-old oh. lab, and he has become the dad, in quotes, what a good boy. to nine oh orphan ducklings. 
at a castle in Essex that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Essex Castle, we'll call it. The mother duck, she uh, legged it or got eaten or something. I don't even... Let's keep it positive. She just... (laughs) She she had an appointment somewhere else. Anyway, um, Fred, the lab, has taken to... Like a great Disney movie, it starts with parent death, but it gets way better from there. He has taken to guarding these nine orphan ducklings he carries them around on his back he swims with them they sleep in a little doggy bed with him um he's apparently done this uh with other animals that have uh, have come onto the property he's a very friendly boy and uh he's a good boy good dog fred uh 15 out of 10 for fred in the fuzzy puppy update uh thank you to listener will for sending that in it's adorable pictures they're so cute uh what to look out for in the week ahead let's see maybe mark zuckerberg could be called a up against another world government to give cryptic answers we can hope we can hope that that will happen i don't know what anybody's talking about and then yeah there are lots of other things happening computex and uh e3 and wwdc for apple are all on the horizon as well but uh but that's for future shows to deal with that's the end of our responsibility here devendra hardwar where can people find the stuff that you do Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget, and I podcast about movies and TV at SlashFilm.com, the SlashFilmCast there. Listen to the SlashFilmCast, people. I'm telling you. I, yes. I guarantee everybody listening to this right now <laughs> listens to podcasts 100%. So you yeah. should go try out SlashFilmCast. We sure. have our solo episode coming up soon, and uh, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of angry emails about that. <laughs> I am going to see it tonight, and we're doing ours on The Incomparable over the weekend. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I don't know. Woof, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Christina, where can people find the stuff that you do? As you can find uh, me on Twitter, film underscore girl. Uh, you can find my podcast at, uh, I do rocket uh, right here on Relay FM. And uh, if you want to see the videos that I help produce uh, for Microsoft that are on more nerdy developer topics, you can go to youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. Nice. And Stephen Hackett, thank you for uh, putting the show together this week, as always. You bet. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. I have been your host, Jason Snell. And until next week, we will keep watching those headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. 